Kung Hei Fa Choi. Is that how you say it? How do you say it in a not terrible English accent? Kung Hei Fa Choi. <laughs> Kung Hei Fa Choi. Happy Year of the Cock. Roll. <laughs> Happy Year of the Rooster. Yes. I always refer to it as Year of the Chicken because it's actually the zodiac sign of my mum. And so she always refers to it as Year of the Chicken. So I always just call it Year of the Chicken. But everyone else has Year of the Rooster because they're sexist pig dogs and it's all male in the Chinese mythology, I guess. That's fair enough, actually. <laughs> That's fair enough that they're sexist pig dogs, Ting. Are you a sexist pig dog too? No, <laughs> I try not to be. <laughs> okay, okay. Just checking. There was a New Year flea market in Apliu Street, which I'm probably saying wrong as well, in Shamshi Po, which I'm probably saying wrong as well. I first heard about it on Engadget before I even moved to Hong Kong. Or maybe very shortly after I moved to Hong Kong. But I didn't go to it the year I heard about it. I just saw a feature about it where people just get rid of their old junk, basically. And that includes a load of electronic devices, like old game consoles, old games. So a bunch of us from the Retro Game Meetup went there. Just every year? Every year at Chinese New Year. I think the market is there all year. But at New Year, they particularly have some extra stores out where people just ditch their junk. But one man's trash is another man's treasure. So I, I remember in particular, there was a Turbo Graphics Core or something, some relatively obscure, at least very obscure in the West, console. And, you know, they were like, oh, how much? And he was like, oh yeah, 250. And another guy whispered to him, was like, the controller alone is worth 200. Even if the console doesn't work, the controllers are worth 200 alone. And so he bought it and he was like, yeah, score. And they bought all this crap. Like they were just carrying bags and bags of like decrepit consoles. But that was the highlight. But that was the highlight. It was actually quite cool. I mean, they, they had even really weird stuff that I'd never seen or heard of before. So there was this Turbo Graphics, which I knew of as a thing, but I've never seen one in the flesh. They had an N64 with a pirating CD-ROM rewriter. So it would rip N64 cartridges onto CDRs. So like all these weird things that you got in Asia that you never got in the West. So it's pretty cool. And then I myself just bought some PS3 and Xbox 360 <laughs> games, a less exciting. I bought uh, Red Dead Redemption and God of War. Was there anything else you almost bought? I almost bought Spirit Tracks. I was really excited. I was just like, oh, Spirit Tracks! And I opened the case and inside was Nintendo's Labrador and Friends. And I was like, oh. Continuing our theme of toilet habits. And also, because I think you're quite funny about it, I'm going to ask you this one. Is it okay to pee in the shower? <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> personally, I think no. But I know a lot of people do actually do it. Are you one of them? <laughs> I said I think it's not okay. You still do things that are not okay. <laughs> you still do things that... No. It, it's not something I normally would do. For the record, I have. I do. Sometimes. You're just too lazy. I just hope April's not listening. You're doing the triple play. You're brushing your teeth while showering and peeing simultaneously. That's multitasking. Efficiency in the morning. Now you're going to judge me? <laughs> I think everybody does these things from time to time. And do you have a pee schedule? What? Do you have a pee schedule? What does that mean? Do you pee at certain times of the day? No, I just go whenever I feel like it, which is sometimes every 10 minutes. You just go on demand. You have no control. I just go when I feel like I need to pee or when I'm bored or when I want to walk. No wonder you go a lot then. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes I'll be like, I'll go to pee because I need to pee. And I'll sit down at my desk and then I'll be like, oh, I just can't be bothered. I have no inspiration. I'll just get up and go to pee again. Do you not think it's like a muscle? It's worth building up some ability to hold the pee? This is what I think, obviously. No, I'm not imposing or pushing this onto you this is what i personally think yes i think for myself i think it probably is better i think my bladder control has gotten worse as i've become lazier and just go to pee whenever i feel like it that's something we have in common <laughs> what is with all the toilet toilet race stuff because i don't have any way i have no outlet for this no i have no outlet who am i going to talk about my pee habits to or my pee thoughts kevin oh, kevin he would just say ting you're getting old <laughs> i'll get you diapers next year because it's true i'm sure you can get you a good deal on them <laughs> What are the adult, what are the adult, oh, tenor, tenor lady, isn't it? That's the adult diapers. Maybe not tenor lady, maybe they do tenor man too. Hopefully. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. We have today Sir Michael. Hello. And myself. Tingathy. We are a part-time book club for games. Because today we're not talking about a game. 
We're just going to talk about random gaming stuff. We can start. Is that it? <laughs> yes, we can start. We've had Christmas. <laughs> and it was a long time ago. It has been a while because we recorded the episodes. Basically, every episode that was released in January was recorded a long time ago. So we should catch up on what we've been playing. Oh, what have I been playing? What haven't you been playing? So I played Binding of Isaac Afterbirth Plus, which I was excited about, and then immediately extremely disappointed about. (laughs) (laughs) No surprise there. Well, I made the mistake of trying to play it on release day. Why is that a mistake? The balance is just totally shot. Like, it was just way too hard. I mean, I'm not very good at Binding of Isaac, but it was just excessively hard. I was just dying after one or two floors. It was just... They they introduced a new kind of spawner enemy, basically, and it just seemed to be severely unbalanced. It would just endlessly spawn enemies. It was just a nightmare. I mean, they have actually rebalanced it quite a lot since then. Uh, I played it again a few days ago, and it's much more much more manageable now. But the other thing I think that really showed up was there's a fan-made expansion called Anti-Birth as well that came out about a week before the official expansion and the fan-made expansion is like a thousand times better it has two new characters it has like five new floors is it five new floors it has a whole bunch of new floors anyway new floors as in new areas of the game so it's free it's free it's a free expansion and it's much better than the official expansion is the vanilla game built with that in mind so the the vanilla game this expansion was supposed to be to add modding tools but these people managed to make a massive, massive mod without modding tools. And it's a lot better than the official expansion. So anyway, there you go. That's probably too much on Binding of Isaac. We can move on to the next one. Yes, the next one is far more interesting. So if you don't know what Frog Fractions is, look up Frog Fractions. If you know what Frog Fractions is, but don't want to be spoiled on what Frog Fractions 2 is, Skip forward or put your fingers in your ears and go la 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 for a few minutes. So I've been playing Frog Fractions 2, which is, spoiler alert, Glitter Mitten Grove. And I only discovered this because you asked me, are you playing Frog Fractions 2? And I was like, wait, it's out? Frog Fractions 2 is out? I went onto Twitter and I saw Jonathan Blow tweeting a load of bizarre stuff, including some screenshots of just weird arcane symbols and someone else said oh john you're overthinking it it's not like it's frog fractions too and then he replied to them going um actually and i was like (gasps) i looked at jonathan blow's steam curator list and he had added a game glitter mitten grove and i looked at the steam page for it and the reviews were things like fabulous game really interesting otherwise known as you know like so the first letters basically spelled out frog fractions too (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm buying Glitter Mitten Grove. It was 20 bucks. Hong Kong bucks. US bucks. But it's very entertaining. So Glitter Mitten Grove itself is a fairy city building simulator. So you have to attract fairies. You have to grow trees with berries on them and expand your forest uh, colony. And it's actually quite... A full fe- well, I mean, it is a full-featured and reasonably complicated game in itself. My first game of Glitter Mitten Grove, I actually died. Like, I built my city wrong, and it didn't make it through winter. And I actually had to start again with, uh, you know, having learned the lessons of how to expand my city and what to do and what not to do. And the second time round, I survived long enough to start digging into the earth. And I dug down to the bottom of the game world and found a mysterious door... And when I clicked on it, suddenly it said text world. And then I was in Frog Fractions 2 and I had to make my character or import a Mass Effect 2 save. Yes, you heard that right. You can design your character or you can import a Mass Effect 2 save. So I haven't finished it. I've played a couple of hours of it. How did you know to dig to the bottom of the world? I just figured that was a natural thing to try and do. I think there's two entrances to Frog Fractions 2. There's one at the bottom of the world and there's one at the top of the world. So you can either grow a tree really tall or you can dig using fireworks downwards. But that is the way you get in. It's very entertaining. I've already played many strange and different genres of game. Some of them are really good. Some of them are very clever. There's like 
there's like a hardcore real-time chess. There's kind of like Flappy Bird, but with algebra and toaster heating. There's kind of like Snake with power-ups. There's obviously a kind of roguelike pseudo-text game. And that itself has lots of weird power-ups, like your sword will go... Well, number one, you get a sword and you can swing it like in Deadly Rooms of Death, which is another excellent puzzle game. Too much to go into. Too much to go into. It's very entertaining. Uh, I'd like to play it more, to be honest. Maybe maybe that's what I'll do now. Uh, my gaming schedule is freed up temporarily. I should finish it off. What have you been playing? I bought Battlefield 1 after we talked about Battlefield 1. We both bought Battlefield 1. We've both played it like an hour. I finished it. I've played the single player oh, campaign. I played the whole single player campaign. I finished it, yes. Was it good? I, I, I've spent a long time complaining how COD just pulls you along and is very bounded and it leads you. Battlefield is completely opposite of that. It's like an open, the open spaces and it annoys me because I don't know what I'm meant to do. I'm, a, I'm, a, can't be pleased. So annoying. Never satisfied. I've never actually played the single player battlefield so i don't actually know what the single players are like but i heard they're not very good it's not very good it's like a tutorial for the multiplayer so it teaches you how to drive or pilot the tanks whatever the right verb is and the same for the planes and it does its own capture points so during a level you have to capture a point and just sit there for a few seconds it's horribly unbalanced (laughs) and it's not very well paced but at least now i can play some multiplayer i think and hold my own a little bit. Yeah, we should play. We should play. And your Zelda progress? I'm playing Majora's Mask on the 3DS. It's so much better this way. I felt so rushed last time round, And it's much smoother on 3DS. You didn't mention this. I think it's not that it's much smoother. It's more just that your emulator was incredibly janky. Because I don't think it was that bad on the N64, though I might be wrong. I mean, my memory is probably smoothing over a lot of the craft. Ocarina was quite slow on the N64. I remember that. Okay. I don't feel as rushed as before. And I'm doing more of the side quests. You were right. It's not about the dungeons. It's not about the dungeons with Majora's Mask. It's about taking in the world and the people around it. Yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was a very novel take. I want to take back what I said before. Majora's Mask is better than what I said it was before. And as well as that, I'm also playing Twilight Princess HD on the... No, I should actually say one more thing. With Majora's Mask, I'm three quarters of the way through now. So I've done the Lake Bed Temple. I'm actually quite close to finishing that. And also with Twilight Princess HD. Are there eight dungeons, is that right? I think there's eight dungeons. So I'm in... I'm working through the city in the sky. That's the last dungeon. That is the last dungeon. I think that's the last one. Okay, I'm really... I, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I, I actually, you know, I can't remember actually. It, that was definitely very near the end. I've got the boss key, about to beat that boss, and then I'm done. I've managed to clean off two Zelda's before Breath of the Wild. Very good. Well done. How do you find Twilight Princess? Compare and contrast to Majora's Mask. The dungeons are better, in Majora's Mask. Yes, that's what I, that was kind of what I was wondering if you would say, because there's a very good YouTube series called Boss Keys, where this guy is analysing the Zelda dungeons in the different instalments in the series and showing not so much like how they look, but the structural in terms of gameplay flow. And the more recent Zeldas, the dungeons have been dramatically simplified to the extent where in Twilight Princess, he's pointing out that of the eight dungeons, I think four or six of them actually have exactly the same layout. They're just they're a different shape, but the flow is exactly the same. Go into a main room, go here and get a key, go the other way, get the item, go through the main thing, get the boss. Yeah, I think that would be true. I think there's one dungeon where you have to lead a stone, a, like a statue all the way back. And that one's an interesting one. But the other ones, they don't feel any spe- They don't. There's nothing special about them. And that's it. We should talk about your wands. My wands. By wands, you mean the Oculus Touch VR controllers. Yep. So I actually had these delivered before Christmas, but they were delivered to London because Oculus won't ship to Hong Kong. And I collected them over Christmas and brought them back. And I finally tried them out a couple of weeks ago. And they are really good. The Oculus itself, 
I remember when I got it, I thought this is interesting, but it's still not that great. You know, because I got it free for being a Kickstarter backer, but had I actually paid 600 US for it, I think I would have been disappointed. Having now paid even more money for the hand tracking controllers, now it's suddenly worth it. The hand tracking controllers make it a thousand times better. It's really shocking how much better it is with the hand tracking. Do you get another camera? You get, yes, you get another camera tracking station thingy. And initially setting them up was a bit of a pain. It did take me half an hour, I think, to get it all set up and tracking to the satisfaction of the setup program. Like it was saying, oh no, tilt this camera this way and then your USB thing isn't fast enough and you've got to put it in a different port because they're on the same bus and whatever. Like this seems to actually be a, a common problem. People are all complaining on the Oculus forums about the tracking, like the tracking goes skew if after you've been using it a bit. But when it works, it's really good. It was quite magical. So after doing the setup and the calibration and tilting all the cameras and eventually it goes, okay, fine, tick, tick, tick. And then it said, right, put the headset back on and click the button. And then you click the button and it goes all Tron, like all these like lines shoot towards you and like this grid and like builds a room out of boxes and the boxes start filling themselves in and becomes more complicated. And then you're kind of in a trailer and there's like this kind of cassette player type thing in front of you and you the the tracking on the oculus the buttons are all capacitive so it can tell when your fingers are resting on the buttons or when they're lifted off so your hands are kind of in like a neutral but closed position by default and when you lift your fingers off the buttons your individual fingers lift up so you can point and so it kind of says oh like make a pointing gesture and then push down on this button and you push down on the button and this robot comes to life and it's like waving to you and it's like robots waving to you and you wave back to the robot. And again, you can see your hand like opening up and waving and the robot's like, here, have this disc and hands you a disc and you get the disc and you put it into like this 3D printer and the 3D printer starts printing out stuff that's written on the disc. So the first one is like butterflies, like pixelized butterflies and you can hold out your finger, like extend your finger, like again, like you're pointing and the butterflies will land on your finger. And then he hands you another one and it's kind of like a gun. Well, it shoots out like little sucker darts, but they but they look like lasers when they're like flying through the air. And when you're holding the gun, little targets start magically appearing around you. And you can just be shooting the targets and he hands you yet another disc and it's little rockets. And you can pick them up and pull the tag on the back of the rocket and it like, you know, and it will ignite the rocket and they'll go flying off. And he keeps handing you more and more discs. And it's like really cool stuff. And then eventually he hands you one more disc, like a golden disc. And then it kind of makes a vortex and sucks everything in and like the robot waves bye-bye to you. And then it dumps you back into Oculus Home again. But now you can walk around Oculus Home. And it's like, that was amazing. You know, this is just the calibration demo. Other stuff that I've played. Finally, I can play the Vive hand tracking stuff. So I've played Valve's The Lab, which is designed for Vive. That's really good. It's really fun. It's very interesting, though, because the Vive doesn't have this finger tracking thing. In some ways, it's less immersive. So it's tracking your hands perfectly fine, but you don't get the the same kind of visual feedback of lifting up your fingers. But it's still really fun. The Vive demos are definitely extremely good and extremely fun. Can you give me an example of one of the things they make you do in that lab? Yeah, so there are some that are really just visually interesting. Like there's one where you are talking to GLaDOS and having to repair like the Atlas and Peabody robots for their like human outreach program to show like humans can do useful things too except you really can't because it's it's like you have 15 seconds to recalibrate the nuclear it's like oh my god it's going wrong but then there's also ones that are actually just quite fun from a gameplay standpoint so there's kind of like a bullet hellish shooter where your hand is the spaceship and you're kind of like moving your hand around to negotiate around bullets coming towards you while shooting at spaceships and shooting at missiles and things or there's another one which is called like core calibration so it's kind of like the personality cores from Portal, but you've got a gigantic slingshot and you kind of have to like turn and aim this big thing and like pull back like this massive, you know, rubber band thing and launch these cores to blow up big stacks of boxes. Well, that'd be quite fun. Yeah. Again, it's all very, you know, it's, it's strange because obviously there's no tactile feedback, but at the same time, there kind of is tactile feedback. There is some mild force feedback in the controls themselves so when you kind of like go into a wall in the game it kind of like vibrates so you can tell your you know you shouldn't your hand shouldn't be here there's no feedback in the headset there's no feedback in the headset that'd be crazy it doesn't like punch you in the head no 
And then what else did I play? I played Accounting, the Rick and Morty, the one, the game made by the Rick and Morty pair. Is it Justin Roiland and Dan Harmond? Whatever. That game is weird. That game is seriously, seriously weird. What did you expect? I expected something weird, but not that weird. It's really a whole other level of weird than I was <laughs> expecting. And there's a lot of swearing. It's like literally constant swearing. You start out in a kind of virtual office and they're talking about how it's the future of accounting, virtual reality, and your accounting will be so much more efficient. And then you go into the first environment, which is kind of like a forest. And then there's a machine there that kind of breaks and you take the battery out and this guy just starts swearing at you. He's like, fuck you, fuck you, get out of here. Get the fuck out of here, fuck you. What are you doing here in my place? What are you doing in my place? Get the fuck out of here. You get the fuck out of here. What are you doing in my place? This is my tree place. And he's just shouting at you and shouting at you, shouting at you. And it's like really like stressful. And then this get phone starts here. ringing fuck and you. you pick up the phone. Like this phone just appears out of nowhere. Like the matrix, I guess. And you pick it up and they're going, what are you doing? Where are you? It's like, this isn't the accounting simulation. And then it goes downhill from there until you're like stabbing people. And there's like, blood and skeletons and murder it's very short it's very short and very weird is it very free it's very free so that was fine fine then i also tried out oculus medium which is the kind of sculpting tool and that's really interesting as well like i'm not good at it but i can see how it's an incredibly powerful tool it's really intuitive I don't know if you've ever tried using any 3D modeling software. Well, I've only ever used Blender because I'm a cheapskate and I don't want to pay hundreds of dollars for Maya or something. But Same here. Try to use Blender so hard, not obvious at all, how you interact with the 3D and how you move surfaces and whatever. This is very, very intuitive. It's just literally, you've got like almost a blob of clay and you can just pick it up and grab it and rotate it and be like adding things to it or pulling bits out, stretching it, carving it away. Really tactile despite obviously it not being a real thing, but it somehow feels like it's a real thing because the feedback is so immediate. Very, very intuitive. If I was a better artist, I could do amazing things with it, but I'm not. But if you look at some of the pre-made things that they show you that have been made in Medium, it's quite amazing. And then finally, the last game I've been playing, Super Hot VR. I think this is actually an Oculus exclusive at the moment. So I'd already played Super Hot, just the regular non-VR Super Hot. And the VR version is much shorter, and Superhot's already a very short game. There's much less like UI to it as well. They don't have the replay function. They don't have like the endless mode. It's kind of like just a tech demo, but it's really, again, it's very strangely visceral once you're inside the game world. And some things feel really weird at first, like punching people, because obviously there's no feedback. You just see this person coming towards you, and you're just kind of waving your arm at them. And the game interprets that as a punch. But there's other things where you do feel like some kind of Matrix robot ninja. So there's a similar scene in regular Superhot where you're kind of in a lift. And there's three people who are just right next to you at the beginning. And obviously if this was the real world you would be totally dead. There's three guys with guns and you're in a lift. And they're all pointing their guns at you at the start. But because you've got magical time bending ninja powers. You can like punch one. Grab the gun shoot the second guy and then in normal super hot that would be it but in vr you've got another hand so you just snatch the gun out of midair with your other hand and now i've got two guns and then the lift doors open and there's like a corridor of people and you're just shooting people with both of these guns it's just crazy stuff like that happens or getting solid metal objects like a frying pan and like knocking someone out with a frying pan and then turning around and someone shoots a shotgun at you and then using the frying pan to deflect all the bullets coming towards you and then throwing the frying pan at them and then catching their shotgun and amazing stuff like this because you've got two hands. The only thing is you're quite constrained in where you can walk because you obviously can't freely walk anywhere you like because it's, you know, your real body moving around. So the actual environments are very small, the physical space you can walk around in. And the space I actually have set up for VR is not that big either. I thought it was quite big, but I realised once I had the helmet on that actually it was really not very big. And so several times I did actually just walk into a wall. This was more a problem for the Vive stuff because they really expect you to have 
a really large amount of space set up. So for accounting in particular, several times I would need to pick up an item and I'd reach out my hand and go dunk and punch it straight into my wall and be like, uh-oh. And then I'd have to go out of the game and recalibrate everything to try and move the virtual space slightly more to the left or something so I could actually have enough space to pick up this item. But it's funnier when you were stuck in super hot. It's funny when I'm stuck in super hot where I'm trying to dodge a bullet and I'm like walking to the left to try and avoid this bullet and then I brush against the wall. And it's like, uh-oh, I really need to walk left to dodge this bullet, but there's a wall here in real life and I can't walk any further. And then me trying to like duck under this bullet and things. I was thinking, how must I look in the real world? Because I'm obviously moving really slowly because anytime I move, time is mo- passing. Even if you just move your arms, time is passing. And so you're kind of like, contorting your body into strange shapes and then like moving really slowly while holding your arms above your head and stuff it must look very very strange i mean i'm gonna make you play it after this so i'll I'll get to see what it looks like finally resi 7 came out recently would you play this in vr no i'm a coward (laughs) you're not the only one (laughs) i did not even realize it was out I'm really surprised it's out already. I I thought it was, for some reason, like a year away. I'm really shocked that it's out full stop. It's come around quite quietly. You wouldn't play it either then in VR? No way. Would you play it full stop? There's an article on Kotaku saying how to play Resident Evil if you're a coward. (laughs) I've heard it's very good. I've heard it's going back to the series roots of actually being a horror game, not an action game. And I've heard it's genuinely frightening. One of the recommendations was play it while listening to the Zootopia soundtrack. <laughs> Shaved me smile. I love the Zootopia soundtrack. Music down, brightness maxed, with friends in daylight. Good plan, good plan. A few weeks ago was the Nintendo Switch announcement. I actually don't know where it was held. Was it held in New York? No, it was in Japan. Japan. It was all in Japanese. I actually watched it. So originally I just saw the highlights, but I actually went back and watched it. And they announced a lot of details about the Nintendo Switch. What I thought we'd do is go through obvious pros, obvious cons, and then we'll, then there's like stuff in the middle where we'll just discuss. Shall we start with the pluses? So one for you, it's region free. Region free. As soon as I saw it was region free, I was like, right, I'm going to buy one then. That was the only thing that would have made me not buy one. If it had been region locked, I'd be like, you didn't learn your lesson, Nintendo, no sale. But it's region free, so I immediately put it on my to-buy list. Um, the other one we had was, it's really portable. I mean, we already knew this originally, but it's different when you see it. Yeah, I saw a photo of a Nintendo Switch next to a 3DS XL, and it's barely bigger than a 3DS XL, which really surprised me. I actually thought it was much bigger. I thought it was, I originally thought it was the same kind of size as the Wii U gamepad, which is actually quite chunky, but it looks like it's just slightly wider than a 3DS XL, which is very portable. So yes, it's really portable, it looks like. And finally, Zelda looks good. Can we say that? I think you can say that. But I still don't know much about Zelda. I think that's for the best. Fine. That's the problem with games these days. There's no mystery anymore. There's no mystery. And even when there is mystery, we ruin it for ourselves by reading players' guides. So that's kind of like the fun thing about playing a game when it comes out, when it's a mystery for everyone, before you realise that it's total garbage, like No Man's Sky, and there's no depth to it. You know, playing, say, a Dark Souls game on release, when there's lots of people to summon and nobody knows how to cheese the bosses or no one knows, like, go to this area and get this weapon and it's really good when everyone's discovering it for the first time. And I think it will be fun to play a more open-world Zelda, certainly, that seems to have lots of strange secrets and optional bits and bobs you don't have to go for before everyone knows, well, obviously you go to this shrine first and get this item, and then you can just win the game. I wasn't too successful in putting down the cons, if I'm honest. What's a con? The battery life isn't like 48 hours or something. Obviously, you know, you've got to have, you've got to be realistic. You can either have amazing graphics or you can have great battery. And I think they've chosen a sensible compromise. So you're looking at three to six hours? Two and a half to six hours, it said. Okay, whatever. I mean, that's better than you'd get on, say, your phone, I think. If you're using your phone to play 3D games, I think your phone battery wouldn't last that long either. So to me, that is an acceptable 
level of battery. Because the other thing to note is it just charges from USB-C. So you can probably just whack a regular battery pack into it. It's all using mobile class hardware, which you could say is a con because it doesn't have the same horsepower as, say, a PS4. But you could also say it's a pro because it's a truly portable console. I mean, I think people are looking at it the wrong way. I think they're looking at, like, I want to have a portable PS4. But really, it's more like it's a very convenient mobile console that you can use on your TV. If I wanted PS4-like graphics, I've got a PS4 for that. Yeah, people like to compete, have them compete directly. That's the thing. It's kind of, it's mid-generation. It's not really competing with the PS4 because everyone who wanted a console for the graphics will have already bought a PS4 or an Xbox One. So I think this is really opening up a new market. It's really, I think it's actually going to more cannibalize the handheld market. I mean, they've said it's not their handheld console. They're not competing with the 3DS, but that's blatantly not true. I mean, do you remember when the DS came out, they said it wasn't competing with the GBA. It's going to be another parallel line. And obviously the GBA was very quickly discontinued after that. I'm sure it's going to be the same thing. This is going to replace the 3DS and it's going to replace the Wii U. Which is ideal. Yeah, I'm totally fine with that. I wrote down this thing had no achievements, but no one... That well, not, we don't know. We, we don't, don't know. know. The, one of the original reactions from the, that conference was that there were no launch titles. But since then, what was three is now ten. I actually don't even know what they are. I know there's obviously Breath of the Wild and 1-2-Switch. I'm not actually sure what else there is. There are, the other ones are all smaller games, aren't there? Because like, I know Binding of Isaac, for example, is coming out on it. Tomorrow Corporation have got three games. Oh, Human Resource Machine and some other like World of View type stuff, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and okay. there's Just Dance 2017. I think there's a Skylanders game. Somehow you can get you can somehow get 10, which isn't so bad. To be honest, even if the only game was Breath of the Wild, that would be sufficient for me. But you'd destroy that in a weekend or week. <laughs> And then I can get back to my other games backlog. Yeah, it's true. I'm I'm not exactly your typical consumer. Other things for discussion were paid online. And then also the the monthly game. Yeah, that's a bit lame. I gotta say I'm not too impressed by that. Which bit? Well, paid online has sadly become standard for consoles. So Unfortunately, I guess that is just how things are. And having free online, weirdly, is not even really a selling point, as Sony discovered. People are willing to pay for online play. It's an acceptable thing in the console space. So Nintendo would be foolish not to charge for it, sadly. But, you know, it's the truth. The The question is, what is the, the value proposition of the online? What paid online, you know, what online games will there be what online features will there be to justify this and i think it's too early to tell if they make it something akin to xbox live or playstation network where you have all the social features and if the digital purchasing is sane so connected to your account rather than to your physical console then i think maybe it's it's okay but the the free game along the lines of the PSN Plus free game or the Xbox Live Games of Gold, it's only for that month, which I think is, it's almost like the contract, you know, you have with these games companies is you've got to pay for online, but this is the sweetener. And Nintendo is kind of trying to say, oh, okay, people pay for online, so you've got paid online now, but we don't really want to give you the sweetener. They just don't have enough sweetness to give you. That's but, the problem. But, but they do. They've got so many. It's kind of, They're trying to make you buy games three times. I mean, you know, virtual console stuff. 20, 30-year-old games. They could just give out SNES games or NES games each month and people will be happy. I was looking at the Nintendo eShop. You can buy it. It's so funny. On the virtual console, you can buy the the version on the Wii. And they'll say, oh, we'll give you the the, the 3DS version for free. Rather than say, oh, it's it's a one platform, one ecosystem, they treat it as another version. Say, oh, we're giving you this one for free. It's like, what do you mean you're giving it to me free? It should be free by default. It's really quite puzzling because Nintendo could effectively give it away for free. They could make their their monthly game one of these old games. People would be satisfied with it because they're really good games. And also, these games are 
so easy to get for free anyway on the internet. It is totally trivial to get every SNES game ever made now on the internet in a matter of minutes. Then again, like I'm an atypical person, I am like a programmer. So maybe for most people, it's not quite that easy. But still, I'm really surprised that they think they can do this. Well, well, again, it remains to be seen what the free games are. Maybe the free game will be like a AAA game. And then, fair enough. Perhaps. They said they would also have online multiplayer rather than just have local multiplayer as SNES or NES games did have those days. They put in online multiplayer for them. Well, that could turn out badly as well if the, inf- the infrastructure is not set up. I, w- I would also say that this already exists. If you want to play Super Mario Kart over the internet, the emulators will do this these days, surprisingly. Oh, that is surprising. But even 10 years ago, emulators did this. In any case, time will tell. It remains to be seen. But yes, I intend to get one. Do you have expectations for the online infrastructure itself? If they're going to offer it free for most of the year and they only charge you it towards the end, does that mean they're a bit behind? Does that signal that it's a bit behind? They have made some very strange statements because I think they actually said that the online is going to be in America and Europe and they haven't actually said anything about Asia, including Japan. So they made some very strange statements about the online. Again, this was as of the conference on the 12th. So I actually haven't checked if they've cleaned this up since. Maybe they've sorted it out. I mean, to be honest, I don't really care for now. I'm initially intending to get it just to play Breath of the Wild. So I don't think there is going to be any significant multiplayer in that. Although if there is, that'll be quite cool. If there's like Dark Souls-esque invasions, imagine if you could invade as like Dark Link in someone else's world. But I don't think that's going to be the case. So the multiplayer, I reserve judgment, but... I don't really care for the moment either. The last thing I wanted to ask you about was the HD rumble. I heard that it's actually nothing special. From some hands-on, you know, reviews, previews of the Switch, people said the HD rumble was kind of, they couldn't really tell the difference between that and regular rumble. What, how do you feel about it? So the, the example that I always keep hearing is it's like wrestling dice or ice in a glass. So they could identify how many cubes of ice was in were in the glass. That sounds impressive. Yes, that does sound impressive. But if if you're playing something, it's not a primary sense or you don't respond primarily to that, that's the problem. I think the thing is with stuff like this, when it's done well, it actually acts on almost a subconscious level because Going back slightly to the VR stuff, I did not realise that the Oculus hand controllers actually had rumble in them. But the rumble is very subtle. Like, it's not like going off all the time, like, like if you think the early, like, dual shock. It is actually quite a subtle sensation that is kind of just telling you, oh, you're intersecting a virtual object here, or you've picked up a gun here or something. And you hardly even are conscious of it. But it definitely adds something. If it wasn't there, then you would have much less of a feeling of presence. And I, I wonder if the HD rumble is going to be like that. When, when you're concentrating on it, you're like, I don't get it. I don't get what the fuss is about. But when you're playing a game and you're immersed in it, it's going to be much more immersive at a subconscious level. So ideally, if you're playing a horror game and it, for some reason it feels like you've got like a snake is in your hand, that would be pretty special. Yeah. I'm dreaming here, maybe. Or you pick up a vine and then it starts writhing or something. You said throw it at the screen. (laughs) (laughs) So you pre-ordered this as well. We tried to. So I'm in a WhatsApp chat group for a retro games meetup and they commented that the pre-orders are all gone, basically. And then I said, huh? I didn't even realize they'd open pre-orders. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, it was on the Nintendo official website. And they pasted it and it was all in Chinese. And I was like, okay. That's why I didn't know about the pre-orders then. So basically, if you couldn't read or speak Chinese, tough luck getting a pre-order. I tried going to Hong Kong Records, which is a Guilo-friendly, English-speaking, <laughs> kind of like HMV-type shop, and asked them about pre-orders. And they were like, oh yeah, we're not taking pre-orders at this time. Uh, our pre-orders will open later, but 
we can take your phone number if you want and we'll call you back when the pre-orders open. I was like, oh, okay. And I gave them my phone number. And then I was joking to you. It's like, I bet as soon as I walked out the store, they crumpled it up and threw it at their shoulder and were like, another satisfied customer. <laughs> so. You also added that's what exactly what you do. <laughs> yeah, you know, everyone, everyone's happy then. They're like, oh yeah, I'm going to pre-order one when they call me. And I was like, I'm not going to call that guy, but he's going to be happy because he thinks I am. He thinks I'm going to go the extra mile. <laughs> I'm only joking, of course. Yeah, you should always buy from Sir Michael. He offers the best support. Yeah, of course. Buy my games. On that note... Global Game Jam 2017, talking about games that you're making. Global Game Jam. Yeah, we mentioned this on the last podcast so the last time we recorded was the day before global game jam and i have obviously since been to global game jam and made a game and i actually already put the video for the game up on the on the podcast blog site so you might have seen it already if you actually ever go to lostlevels.club the website what's there to say about it so what is global game jam global game jam is an annual event there are hundreds of sites around the world that participate there are tens of thousands of people who attend overall hong kong is in the top 10 sites by size so hong kong i think we had over 200 attendees at the hong kong site and essentially it is well it's a game jam so you get together you form a team you can have a pre-made team or you can just meet people there and form a team with people you've never met before. And then you've got 48 hours to make a game on a theme. The Hong Kong site is in Cyberport and it's really good. This year it was actually in a different room to normal because they're renovating the function room that they normally hold it in. So it was actually in this kind of industrial loft space. It was all like exposed concrete and had very few lights that had like giant spotlights up illuminating it so it was really dark and dingy but also just really cool it actually felt like really retro chic hipster i enjoyed it the other unusual thing about the hong kong site is that they give you free food and drink so you just register you don't have to pay anything you just show up and they just for the whole weekend free food free drink really good atmosphere everyone's really friendly there's a lot of the same people who show up every year so you start recognizing people. It's like, oh, hi, I remember you from last year. And there was like a lady who joined our team randomly from Shenzhen last year. And she actually came again this year. And we met up with her and she also joined our team again. In any case, so the theme this year was waves. And they don't really specify what kind of wave. I think on the, there's kind of essentially a keynote speech. This year, the keynote speech was done by Extra Credits, which is a YouTube channel that I watch anyway. Uh, they're very entertaining they often talk about, or well, they mostly talk about kind of game design and concepts and thoughts about it. But they did their keynote speech. And then afterwards, there's a video that gives you the theme. And they were showing, you know, waves like on the beach and then like sine waves and then like crowd waves, waving grass. You know, they, they just said like the theme is waves and you can interpret that however you like. And then immediately we just started brainstorming. So there were about eight of us around this table and we all just started throwing out ideas about waves. So we had like 15 ideas in the end. So you know, I immediately was like saying, I don't want to go too high concept this year. I want to make something really just, I just want to make something fun. And I said, you know, I, I'm going to say like ways of enemies. Let's, let's go for, you know, just enemies, 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 different patterns, different. Well, I'll get into some more later. So that was my initial suggestion. But then we had lots of other more abstract ideas too. So another really good one that this person we'd never met before, we just met them at the game jam, but they suggested, oh, how about like a waving simulator? So, you, you know, like when you see someone on the street and, they wave to you and then you're like, do I know you? And then you're like, oh, wait, were you waving at me? Yeah, were you waving at me? And then, and then you wave back and they look at you like you're a mad person. You turn around and then you realise there's a person behind you that they're waving to. So they're like, how about a waving simulator where someone waves to you and you have to decide whether or not you have to wave back? And I was like, that is such a good idea. That's really funny. And then we had other ones about like sonar waves, like, you know, it's all dark and you have to release like a ping to see things or uh, obviously things like waves of water. I was like saying like, how about like pool in a pool with ducks and you've got to like drop stones in to make a wave to try and push the ducks into the, the holes and stuff. So we had all these like crazy ideas. In the end, 
you're kind of meant to have a team of like four to six people because it gets very unwieldy if you have more than that. So we actually fractured into two groups, the group I was in, which was doing the shoot 'em up because I was like, I just want to make something fun. I want, you know, bang, 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 explosions, waves. And the other group who decided to go with a wave simulator. So it was quite unbalanced. It was quite funny, actually, because our group had three programmers and an artist and their side had basically all artists and one guy who'd been learning game maker so he just de facto became their programmer in any case we made a game called duality because we just had to come up with a name and we just said oh how about like wave particle duality and then it will be like a bullet hell waves of enemies like different patterns and stuff my pitch was more about one of my inspiration geometry wars for like the the twin stick kind of feel of it and Bangayo, which is like this missile explosion bullet hell game with like big like concentric circles of explosions and stuff. Those are the two like videos I showed people. It's like this is kind of what I want to go for. And then I was talking about this is getting slightly technical, but I'll only just say the word bullet ML, so which is a markup language for bullet patterns. And so I was saying, you know, we could do something like that for the enemy patterns, and we can just have, you know, interesting like starbursts of enemies or circles of enemies or like, you know, spinning sine waves of enemies and stuff and the very fine things like you have portraits of people you don't like and it holds for a second then it spreads out (laughs) boom we actually had a really slow start because the problem was what with having three programmers we couldn't agree on what programming language to use so we had we had like quite an involved discussion where we're all just politely agreeing to disagree with each other about what programming language to use. And then there was a slight coup in the morning where me and another guy arrived earlier <laughs> and we just started using the language I wanted to use. And then because we'd started, it was like, well, we already started, so we're just going to go with this. I did feel a little bit bad. I did feel a little bit bad, but at least we got going. And so we, we wrote it using Unity because I'm really familiar with it. And we used their shoot 'em up demo. So they, they actually give you a pre-made shoot 'em up game. And we actually literally just took that and started heavily heavily customizing it but at least it had the very basics of basic game logic for starting a game basic joystick mapping and then we had to change it a lot because the actual controls and the camera and everything were just totally different by the end but at least it was a baseline it's much easier to to like kind of iterate on something that's already there so yeah we threw it together i'm quite pleased with it you have two key mechanics i think which are well, it's a twin-stick shooter. I think you actually haven't played... You haven't played Geometry Wars, have so you? So it's not... So the idea where the spread is linked to the how hard... Oh, oh, that's... that's Oh, yeah, that's custom. That's and not, the rate of fire as well? Um, The rate of fire... Well, what I, what I was saying, uh, and what I think we were going for, is like we wanted to make something fun. We were like, forget all this high-concept waviness. Let's just make something fun. And so what makes a shooting game fun it's when you feel in control it's when you feel like the game is like an extension of your body like twitchy action games are not fun when you feel like you're moving through treacle and when you feel like you died but it wasn't your fault so you need the controls to be really responsive and so we try to make the whole thing really tactile in a way that it's kind of very intuitive so the left stick moves your ship the right stick chooses the direction you're shooting in and how far you push the stick determines the rate of fire so I think that's a very natural kind of thing. If you hold the stick, you shoot really fast. You're like, bang, bang, bang. And if you hold the stick just a little bit, you're like, pew, 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 pew. You know, it's a very natural and analog thing. And then similarly, on the triggers of the joypad, if you hold down the trigger all the way, you shoot like a widespread of bullets. And if you don't hold the trigger, you shoot a very narrow beam of bullets. And again, it's an analog thing. So it's very tactile. You feel connected with your player ship. So you can squeeze the trigger, and as you're squeezing the trigger, your bullet spread widens out. That was really what we wanted to go for. We wanted to go for a very intuitive feedback, natural connection to the to the game. And I think we achieved it. And it's also kind of like a retro aesthetic, given that we came from a retro games meetup. So we thought, you know, let's make a retro-looking game. And again, I think we achieved that too. What was the response you got? The response was very good. So a lot of people came by our table where we're working on it and they're like oh this looks interesting because a lot of people went very high concept with their games and they made stuff that was interesting but not fun and our game was very 
obvious what you had to do and quite fun to play. So a lot of people stopped by a table and then were like, oh, can I have a go? And I was like, oh yeah, sure. And just hand them control that. And then like, there would be crowds of people at our table or cheering and high-fiving and trying to beat each other's scores. So yeah, we got a very good response. And at the end, there's like an award ceremony and there's a judging. And our game actually won the Retro Spirit Award, which is kind of we won by default in a way because I don't think there are actually that many other retro aesthetic games but everyone did agree they said you know it's a fun game it's not just that it looks retro but it's got a lot of the old school feel of like back when games were simple and also when games felt good to play you know you've got a really visceral connection to the controller so we won the retro spirit award and the prize for that was a retro freak which is it's kind of like an old school games console in the sense that it will play old games. So it can play NES and SNES and Mega Drive and Game Boy and Game Boy Advance. It will play all these old console games. It comes as quite a big unit with all these cartridge slots in for all these different cartridges and you can plug it in and it will play those old games. But the actual brains of the unit is this little tiny box and you can actually plug in the cartridge and rip the games to an SD card and just the little box is actually all you need to play the games. So it's it's a nice prize and I've I've kept it because the other people on the team actually already had them because they're really hardcore into their retro stuff. I'm probably the least retro guy there, so I didn't have one, so I'm gonna I get to keep it by default. Woo! So what's next for Sir Michael Studios? What's next for Sir Michael Studios? I really um I think the game is really Wait wait disclaimer here it's not actually so michael studios there is a, a real team of four people <laughs> there's a real team of four it's, people who it's made not this. just you know it's not just me it's true yeah. so well the game is online the code is online because for global game jam you know you're supposed to put all your work up so other people can build on it so well i think i would like to build on it i feel like it's it's really basic but it's also just like the beginnings of a good game so i would like to build on it further i, I was telling you some of the other things i like to do like the game is superficially difficult but if you know what you're doing it's really trivially easy like the balance is way off like it definitely needs a lot of tweaking the graphics could definitely be improved a lot like the camera is like a fixed camera at the moment we could do a lot with that to make it feel more exciting more interesting and i was saying you know more obstacles like there's there's waves of enemies but there's no bullets yet so like incorporating more bullet hell mechanics more dodging mechanics and and music kind of like to, to give it more of a rhythm game kind of feel as well. I mean, I think there's quite a lot I could do with it. I mean, I could go on for ages about it. I mean, I, I've only, I only very briefly touched on even what my pitch for the game was. It was much more involved when I was talking to other people and like selling the idea and getting people to try and join, you know, the team. So I think I would like to do a bit more. Who knows if I actually will or not? Because, you know, like my Mario Maker Maker, I just said, like, oh, I want to make this. I think it'd be really good. And it kind of just like fizzled out. So who knows if I'll actually do it? But right now, I feel like I'd like to do it. On that positive note. On that positive note. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. You can find us on Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. And are we on Reddit? Slash r slash Lost Levels Club. You don't get to be grateful for anything today. Oh, I had an easy one, which was I'm grateful for winning, for winning a prize. But okay, fine. Oh, you have it. Done. So Michael says bye. Bye-bye.